right. Well, thanks again for being with us this morning. I'm excited to jump into a new series with us today that's going to carry us for the next, this week, and then three more weeks uh, before we kick off our summer series, uh, which is super exciting too. But I wanted to remind us of kind of where we've been and how we got to this point and where we are in the story. And so at the beginning of the year, we started to have a conversation about the book of Luke. And we talked about who Luke was and and why we trust him and why he wrote his gospel and the fact that he was a doctor. And so what would it take for a doctor to write a book about how someone got up and walked out of a grave, right? That's pretty significant. And so we've traveled through and we've taken some stops along the way and kind of developed some conversations we've been having and led us to Easter. And we've moved in this place. And our, our theme for the year has been Hope Has a Name. And so we chose the book of Luke because he's, he's, it's all about Jesus and traveling through and understanding who Jesus was. And we, what we say is that we believe that that name is Jesus that gives us hope. And so when we need hope, we look to him. And that's what that looks like. And so one of the things that can come along and be part of the conversation when you're talking about hope is fear comes into the conversation. And sometimes fear, fear of what's happening doesn't offer us much hope. It moves us to a place where we're scared, we're worried, we're anxious, we don't like what's going on, we, we're, and we're not sure exactly what to do with that. And so what do we do in these moments where fear seems to show up? And so that has carried us to Luke chapter 5. Now in Luke chapter 5, we talked about the first part of that before Easter, and now we're kind of moving into the last little section. There's four different interactions with Jesus we're going to talk about over these four weeks where the person that's coming to Jesus or the person that's interacting with Jesus is dealing with a certain fear that we might find ourselves having today. And we're looking at how did they deal with that? And what did it look like if they chose to have faith rather than fear in that interaction with Jesus and as they were processing what that would look like? So here's what I want to do. Just to start us off, have our conversation, see, kind of take a poll of the room. So you can Vote for these if you want. If you just want to sit there and keep your hand down, you can do that too, okay? But we're going to talk about fear a little bit. And so first one, fairly easy. How many of you actually enjoy thrill rides? Like you go to an amusement park, you're looking for the roller coasters, you want to do that. Okay, good. There's a few of you. How many of you enjoy thrill rides, but you're too old now to enjoy them? Anybody in that camp? Okay, I thought maybe we'd have a few. Uh, so thrill rides, right? We enjoy that. It's fun. You get on, you're looking for the roller coaster, or it's going to shoot you up really fast, or it's going to drop you down really quick. A lot of fun. That's something that I really enjoy doing, too. Uh, when I go to an amusement park, that's where I want to go. It's, it's a little bit difficult for me now, having small children, being like, they want to do, like, these little rides. I'm like, I'm trying to convince Owen. Like, come on, Owen. Like, let's go on the big stuff. And sometimes he agrees. Sometimes he doesn't want to do it. So you battle that. But they're, they're fun, right? You get a little bit of a, a thrill with that. There's a rush. And for some people, those things are actually scary. Right? You, some of you, maybe you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with those things. You're, you're really afraid of them. And so that can happen. But for some of us, those are a lot of fun. Okay, a little different one. How many of you enjoy scary movies or scary TV shows? Anybody? Okay, handful. Okay, how many of you want nothing to do with them? They're not even close. I saw two hands up from some people, okay? This is a way that my wife and I are very different, okay? I enjoy usually scary TV shows because they seem to have a plot. Like, scary movies sometimes, it's just like a bunch of people dying, and I don't care about that. Like, I don't want to deal with that. But, like, if there's a plot to it and there's something going on, like, okay, I like that suspense. It's good. I like it. Becca wants nothing to do with it, okay? So she just wants the happy, you know, rom-com and things like that. And so we're very different when it comes to that. But it's an interesting, like, dynamic that we have with fear, right? So sometimes we want nothing to do with it, but in some ways, and one of the things that I've read, like just processing some of this stuff, 
is that like scary movies, sometimes people enjoy because it's a way to control the fear we have instead of having to experience it ourselves. So like I can push pause on the scary movie if I want and walk away from it, whereas life happens, I can't just hit pause, right? We can, we can think about it that way and it helps us deal with that stuff. But we have an interesting relationship with fear and sometimes it can be really exhilarating or really good and sometimes it can be really not good and really just scary, And the reality is we come to points in life where things just are scary. We don't know what to do with them. We find ourselves in a situation that is not good. And ultimately, I think what we hope to do or what the question is, what does it take for you or me to feel completely safe in a scary situation? Okay. Now, those of us that raised our hand that we like thrill rides, if your shoulder harness isn't working, that changes the game completely, doesn't it? All of a sudden, that becomes a scary situation. Even if you were super excited to get on, you're like, no, there's no click, right? I need the click to happen so I don't come off the ride. That changes things. So that that thing, that mechanism is going to make us feel safe. But sometimes we get into situations where we don't feel safe. Um, I may have told this story before. I don't know. I've told you I am not a handy person. It's just not who I am, right? I can If I can watch a video on YouTube then I can maybe figure it out. But I am not the kind of person you want fixing things around your house. And one day uh, when we lived in Pottstown, We had some shingles that were off our roof. We needed to replace them. I had a friend named Alex who did a lot of work on houses. He could do all the stuff I couldn't. Um, And so he actually was working on some stuff at his house, and he had some people coming over to his house that were going to help him. And I said to him, I have a few shingles off. He lived down the street. Like, he literally rode his mower to my house one time. And so I said, do you... Would you be willing to, like, the guys you have coming, could they come over to my house for, like, an hour, and we just fix this? And he's like, sure, that's fine. Well, later that day, he shows up at my house with a ladder and says, okay, we're going to go fix the roof. And I said, Alex, can we just call the other guys to come fix the roof? And he said, no, we're going to fix the roof today. So I'm like, okay. So he goes, you'll be fine. I'm like, all right. So, like, I, he climbs up on the ladder in his Crocs, which he says is the best shoe wear for roofing, apparently. So he climbs up, and I get to the top of the I get to up to the top of the ladder, and I'm like, "This is I okay, like maybe." And then he's like, "Well, here I got it fixed for it." So he gets another ladder, and this ladder has hooks on it that sit at the top of the roof. Okay, so it hooks on so that the ladder is on the roof, and it's fine. So I climb up on that, and I'm like, "Okay, I can do this," because I felt like in a scary situation. I was secure. I'm not afraid of heights. I just don't like being up high and like dangling from something. Okay, so like. I get on that part, and I'm like, okay, like, if I can stay on this ladder and help him, because it's connected, we're all good, right? I'm not going where I can hold on. I got good feet, are good, hands are good. I'm like, I can stay here for a while. I'm like, looking around, I'm like, oh, it's kind of nice up here, you know, like, walking. So, like, but then he says, I need you to climb to the top, get off, and kind of, like, sit on the top of the roof, like, at the crest, so that I can move the ladder over. And I said, you want me to get off the ladder, Alex? And he said, yes. And I said, no. And he said, no, I need you to move. And I said, okay. So I get there, and Becca will tell you, I think it's the scaredest she's ever seen me. Like, I just, like, stayed there, and I, it's actually the one time in life I thought I might have a panic attack. Because I did not feel secure on this roof, and I'm like, this is not good. And our roof, like, if I needed to get up on our garage roof now where we live, I could handle it. Our pitch on our roof was just not something I wanted to handle. For a little bit, when I was on that ladder, I was good. And then I got to the top, and I was like, this is not good. And I was just like, Alex, you need to get me off this roof, right? He does all the fixing. He's climbing around, putting ladders out in his Crocs. And I'm just like hanging on for dear life, right? We get into these moments where we are not feeling secure, and we are scared. And I've been there, and you've been there. And what we do in those moments matters greatly. And there are people in Scripture and times where we have to interact with 
Jesus, and it just gets really scary. And here's what I think is true, okay? I think fear is the number one reason we don't take our next step in following Jesus. I think we get to moments in life where, where Jesus asks us to do something, or we feel moved to do something, or we feel encouraged to do something, and we go, yeah, but that's going to make me not real secure, like, I don't like going to that space. I'm not comfortable in that area. It's not who I am. And we feel like Corey up on a roof, and we don't know what to do with that. And so the question is, how are we going to handle it, and what's the decision we're going to make? Are we going to trust Jesus, or are we going to give into that fear and say, I'm going to stay where I'm at? And so here's where I want to go. I told you we're in Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. Okay, and if you want to, you can always scan the QR code on the back of your Next Steps card and go to the follow along. We'll have all the verses up here for you, but if you want to follow along on your phone, uh, you can do that as well, and all the notes will be there too. So in Luke, in Luke 5, starting in verse 12, it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Verse 13, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Verse 14, then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Verses 15 and 16, But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So we get this interaction interaction between Jesus and a man who has leprosy. So here's the first question we have to ask, because we're not really familiar with this. What is leprosy? What is this thing? We don't really hear about it much. I looked it up. I forget what the name of it is that we go by today. But we just don't see this a lot, because we're able to heal it. If, if they find it on you or on me, like they just have a process to heal you and you go through that and you take the medicine, you do the thing and it's done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not a big deal if they figure it out, especially if they figure it out early. But back then this was a big deal. In fact, we're going to go there in a minute. We're not going to read all of the Leviticus 13, but here's how big a deal this was. There's actually instructions in Leviticus on how to deal with this. It's like a medical handbook that God gave to the people of Israel so that they knew what to do if somebody got this. And what it would ultimately do is it would just eat away at your skin over a very long time. And so it would just, you know, just wither you away and you would kind of like start to lose bits of your ears and nose and things like that. And it would take like 20 years. It took a long time. This wasn't like a very fast-moving thing. You found it, and it was just a very long and slow process that was really, really bad, and there was no way to fix it. And it was highly contagious. And so when we go, like I said, we're not going to read all of Leviticus 13 because it actually gets a little gross. If you want to read it later, go for it. But we're going to just read verses 45 and 46. It says this, Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out unclean, unclean, as as long as the serious disease lasts. They will be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, and they must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So remember, this is written to the Israelites way back, so they had camps at the time. They didn't have the cities as much. And 
now when Jesus is coming and we see this situation, the, le- the man with leprosy would have lived outside the city. But this, this tells us a lot, right? He says, those who have this, they have to tear their clothes and not comb their hair. They wanted to show that they were unclean. Like, they, like think about it. If you're not feeling well or, like, you're trying to look better, like, you're going to, like, maybe you put on makeup or you cover up with something or, like, you put on nice clothes or you wear something that's not going to show the thing that is the problem. Like, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to rip your clothes and you have to make sure your hair is uncombed so that we know you look disheveled and there's something wrong with you. They must cover their mouth and they must yell unclean. So if they're coming into a space with a lot of people, they had to announce their presence. That's the last thing you want to do when you've got a problem, right? Show up and tell everybody, hey, look, I'm sick, right? That's not what you want to do, okay? So they had to yell that out and tell people that they were sick so that people would stay away. And says, as long as that disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. Here's what that means. They could not come in and worship God with other people. And they're stuck outside the city or outside the camp. So they get kicked out of town. They're not allowed to interact with people. That, and people don't want to interact with them. If they came in and yelled unclean, people are going to run. They're going to go the other way. They're going to stay as far away as they can get. And they weren't even allowed to come in and worship God, which is a part of being someone who was, who was Jewish, right? They wanted to come worship. They wanted to be with people. They wanted to go to the temple. They couldn't do any of it. And that's why Jesus says, when he heals the man, he says, go and show yourself to the priest so that you can become ceremonially clean again and take the offering and do the thing so that you can come in and worship again. And so this was a massive thing. In fact, I would say this way, leprosy was a living death sentence. You just had to go, stay away from everybody, not be able to interact with the same people, not be able to do the same things. You had to share share with everybody what your problems are, and no one wanted anything to do with you. This was a big deal. And it says that this man that comes to Jesus had an advanced case of leprosy. So he He had had this for a very long time. And what this is saying is, when it says he has an advanced case, the way that we would say it was, this guy was in rough shape. It was not a good situation. This was easy to tell that this man had leprosy. And so yet he comes to Jesus. And so what fear did this man face in coming to Jesus? What fear did he overcome in order to come before Jesus and even make this request? Well, the first thing he would have been facing is public ridicule. Um, he comes into town where he's not supposed to be. He has to yell unclean. So automatically, I mean, you think about it, you go into a place where maybe you're not supposed to be or something like that, and people start to look at you, and they start to yell, get out. Go away. We don't want you here. Go back to where you came from. And yet he keeps walking, and he keeps going, and he's got to find his way through all of these people, very busy place, to Jesus, who we know has had thousands of people around him at certain times. Like he's got to make his way through that crowd, everybody looking at him, everyone telling him to get away, everybody moving away from him, nothing to do with him. And he's got to deal with that. Here's the second thing he had to deal with was rejection. What if he does all of this and Jesus says no? What if he gets through all the people yelling at him and Jesus looks at him and says, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. Go back to where you came from. That was, a, that was a real possibility. And by the way, sometimes for, for leprosy, when leprosy developed, it would, it would develop very, really bad on your feet. And so as he's moved, like this is also a very painful thing. This is painful psychologically, emotionally, but it's also just painful physically. He's got to move with this stuff. And then maybe he gets to the end of this line and maybe Jesus rejects him. And then the last thing I would say is maybe he faces the final confirmation of his fate. 
if this is how he's been for a long time, like there was a little bit of hope, not a lot of hope, but a little bit that maybe the leprosy would go away or maybe it wasn't quite leprosy because there was kind of a few different skin diseases that were kind of lumped into this category at the time. And sometimes it would heal. But he's had this for a long time. And nothing has healed. Nothing is better. It just keeps getting worse. And so finally, he's got this last-ditch effort. Somehow, he's found out about Jesus. Somehow, he wants to come have this conversation. He finds out maybe Jesus can fix it. And so he says, I'm going to try it. But if it doesn't work out, maybe he just thinks, I'm going to go back to where I came from, and I'm just going to die out here. This was it. This was the end for him. And so he faces all of this fear, walks through the public ridicule, possibility of rejection, possibility of final confirmation of his fate, and he approaches Jesus. And this is how he approaches Jesus. Let's read just that piece of chapter 12 again. It says, Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. I, I want us to, like, realize the way he frames this question. He doesn't show up and just say, Jesus, heal me. He doesn't demand anything. In fact, he just comes and he says, if you are willing... I know you can do it. Here's what he does. He trusts in Jesus' ability, but he also submits to Jesus' sovereignty. He says, you, I get it. Like, I know you can do this, but it's up to you. I'll let you. I want you to, but and I know you can, but it's up to you. Will you heal me? And here's what, here's what happens to us sometimes. When we approach Jesus, I think this is true. I know it's true of me. Too often we want to take advantage of Jesus' power, but we want to enforce our own will. We want to take advantage of Jesus' power, and we want to enforce our own will. We want to come and say, Jesus, I've been at this for a long time. Jesus, if you love me, you'll show up. And Jesus had this happen multiple times where people would come to him, and they would say, if you are God, why don't you do this? In fact, as he was dying on the cross, one of the guys next to him looks at him and goes, if you're really God, why don't you save yourself and save us? Why don't you prove to us that you're actually God? Why don't you just show up and do what we, we, you say you can do and show us that that's the case? We do that to Jesus sometimes too. God, if you're good, right, why don't you just do this? Did, haven't I obeyed? Why won't you just give me this thing? I've, I've asked for it over and over again. Why won't you? I know you can. So why won't you do it? And we come not trusting in Jesus' sovereignty, but wanting to take advantage of his ability. And yet the man with leprosy comes and just says, I'm just going to hand this over to you. I'm going to give it to you. If you want to, you can make me well. And as everybody's watching this, he says, I trust in you through all my fear." here's what I think that we give up when we, when we approach Jesus the way that the man with leprosy approaches Jesus. I think we give up control. And I think that this is true. The loss of control is one of our greatest fears. When we hand our lives over to Jesus or we hand a situation over to Jesus, it ultimately means that we are taking our hands off of it and saying, you take it and do what you want with it. I'm allowing you to do that. And that's a scary thing. Uh, when we drive uh, places, I'm typically the driver. Now, I'm not saying I'm afraid when Becca drives. That's not the case. But I enjoy just being able to drive. I enjoy having that. Uh, I just enjoy being behind the wheel. And I enjoy being in that seat. And I enjoy, even when we've driven to and from Florida, I like to be in that seat. I like to just be able to do something while we're going there and being there. And I feel better being in that seat. For whatever reason, it's just me. Sometimes we feel that way about life. 
we would much rather, we would say, yeah, we trust Jesus or we want, but we have this feeling of like, yeah, we, we just want to be there. We want to be the person who gets to make the turn and pick the way and understand where things are going. And when we give that up, it's something that we don't really like. It actually makes us really scared. And if we're a follower of Jesus, if I asked you the question, is it worth it to put your trust in Jesus rather than yourself? I think you would probably say yes, but I want to pause for a minute and really ask that question. Is it worth it to put your trust in Jesus rather than yourself, really? Like if I said you have to put your trust in Jesus rather than yourself with your career, really, do we believe that? If you have to put your trust in Jesus rather than yourself when it comes to your adult children, are you willing to do that, really? Is it worth it to put your trust in Jesus rather than yourself when it comes to your bank account, really like we want to say that we want to say yeah like the christian if you're a follower of jesus like the christian you want to just go yep absolutely but then when we really like whittle it down and we go am i really giving him control over all of these situations in my life is that really the case and do my decisions actually reflect that you know this story of, of the man with leprosy and this interaction with Jesus is actually covered in three different Gospels. And in, in Mark, Mark actually covers it in chapter 1. And I just want to read verses 41 to 42 because it gives us a little bit more information on how Jesus processed this interaction with the man. It says, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared. And the man was healed. Mark gives us a little bit more, just a few words, but a little bit more information. He says that Jesus was moved with compassion for this man. And notice something, like think about this. Jesus could have just looked at the man and said, you're clean, go to the priest. Right, he's done this. There's other times where he just says, the the person that's not here, I'm going to heal them. Go home, they'll be healed when you get there. Like, Jesus didn't have to be in the same vicinity as this person. Jesus could just heal whoever he wanted. But what does he do? He reaches out and he touches him. If you were the disciples at that moment, first of all, when the man showed up, I probably would have been like, get out of here. Like, leave Jesus alone. He doesn't need leprosy. Go. But then Jesus reaches out. Like you're, and as he's reaching out, you're like, Jesus, stop. Like, don't touch him. Like, you're already too close. He's breathing on you. Like, just get away from him. He reaches out and he touches him. Someone who probably hadn't felt a physical touch from someone else in 20 years. Jesus just reaches out and says, I'm willing. He shows compassion to the man. He doesn't just heal him and say, here's what you need, go. He says, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to be loving to you. I'm going to show you the kind of compassion no one has shown you. In a long time. Now, here's a different way to think about this. We've thought about it from the perspective of the man with leprosy, the fear that he had to conquer. But what does Jesus show us about how we handle people that we might be fearful of? The people that were around Jesus watching this interaction with the man with leprosy, they were all afraid of this guy, 100%. They were afraid of him. They wanted nothing to do with him. But how does Jesus respond? And here's a question I think we need to ask. How do we treat those who might be seen as unclean? Now, we don't use that phrasing. 
right? We don't, we don't look at people and say, oh, I think that person's unclean. We don't do that because it's a different understanding. But here's what I mean by that. Uh, there are people who feel like the church as a whole, people who follow Jesus, people who would belong to a church, believe they are unclean, right? People with same-sex attraction feel like we have looked at them and said, you, we don't want things to do with you. Trans people probably have looked at us and said, or do look at us and say, they want nothing to do with us because we've treated them as someone who might be unclean. Let's be honest. Sometimes people that are on the opposite aisle, uh, politically, we look at and say, you are unclean, or we feel that way, or they've felt like we've treated them that way. And there are certain people that we look at who are different than us or who think differently or process differently, and we just go, I want nothing to do with you. And yet in this moment, when someone comes up that could have literally made people sick and was told to, and the scriptures said to stay away from, that's the thing. Leviticus says, get those people out of town because you're going to catch it. And yet Jesus says, new rules. We look at those people and we love those people. And I'm going to heal that person. I'm going to show them compassion. So listen, maybe those categories I shared earlier, maybe those aren't true. Let me say it differently. (laughs) Who are those difficult people that show up and you want to run the other direction? Like you're in the grocery store and you see that person in the next aisle. You're like, I needed to go there. Not anymore, right? I'm going to go this way. Listen, don't laugh like you don't do it. I know you do it, right? If we're honest, I know it happens. And we treat people like they're unclean. That's what happens in that moment. Now, I get it. Chatty Cathy's in the next aisle. You got to get home. I get it, right? There's times where you're like, my kids are waiting. I got to get home for the babysitter. Whatever. I get it. But why? Is it because we don't care about that person? We don't want to love that person? How would Jesus want us to react to that person? Now, Here's the thing. I think these two ideas go together. This idea of control and the idea of compassion. And here's what I think is true. Control eliminates our capacity for compassion. Because when we have to be in control of everything, no one else can take anything from us. So when they show up and say, I need an hour of your time, when we're in control, it's no. I, my schedule's too tight. I can't do that. I, nope, just don't bother me right now. When they show up and they say, can you help me out financially, right? And I don't know all the details of that. We can think of a million reasons why we don't give out money, but just think about, like, they just need 20 bucks. I need lunch, right? What do I do with that? Well, no, like, it's my money. I need to control it. I need to make sure I have it. I need every penny. I need to make sure I'm already stricken. I, like, it's really difficult for me right now, so I can't give to you. So that control eliminates our capacity for compassion. I know Jesus didn't give the disciples a memo that morning that said, by the way, guy with leprosy is going to show up today. Here's how we're going to handle it. And yet, when he showed up, Jesus just said, I have the time for you. Even though I scripturally could say to you, you need to go back outside the camp. He said, no, I've got time. I can do this. And when we're too in control, we eliminate our capacity for compassion. One little tag here that I want to talk about that kind of gets thrown in at the end, but I think it's super important, okay? Okay. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. We've we've circled around this idea for a little while now. It's something that's come up. It comes up in our elder meetings. We talk about it as church leadership. We, Andrew and I talk about it. We've processed this. What does it mean for us to just take space and say, I'm going to pause. I'm going to be in quiet. I'm going to talk to Jesus. And here's the thing. 
If Jesus had to do it, we have to do it. So Jesus, at these times when all these people are showing up and demanding all these things from him, putting demands on his schedule, putting demands on his power, putting demands on his compassion, asking things from him, what does he do? He goes, I need a timeout. Right? So this idea of, of control and compassion doesn't mean that we just like live life and let people take advantage of us. But it does mean in certain situations we're ready to be like Jesus even when it's not the most convenient thing. And we have to be willing to give up some control in those moments. But when that happens and Jesus gives and gives and gives for a while, he goes, time out. I got to go. Right? I got to go. I got to go with, get away from all the people. And I got to go talk to my father for a while. I got to get my space. So guess what? Getting your space and being able to rest and process and regroup, that's what followers of Jesus do too. But why do we do that? The reason is because compassion is draining. And when Jesus dealt with all these people and they were asking things of him and needing things from him, and he was literally, like it was tiring for him to give his power away to other people. He could feel it. We know because when there's the story of the woman with the problem and she reaches out and she just touches his cloak and he realized it because the power left him. Like he had this battery inside of him that he could feel when he would give his power away. And he needed to recharge that battery just like we need to recharge when we're tired or we're hungry or whatever it might be. So it's draining. But here's what I want to say. Okay, ready? This one's difficult. Okay? If you're too drained to be compassionate, you aren't spending enough time with Jesus. Okay? I'll make you feel better. I'll say it for me. If I'm too drained to be compassionate, I'm not spending enough time with Jesus. Like, if if we're too tired to love people, we're not spending enough time with Jesus. It's just the reality. Because if we were... When we spend more time with Jesus, whatever that looks like for you, whatever refills your spiritual bucket, we're going to have more compassion for people. We're going to love people better. We're going to say, I'll give up control and let Jesus move in that way. And that might mean that people that I am going to have a hard time dealing with are going to come find me. He's going to ask me to do difficult things. He's going to ask me to do things I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing. And yet I have to, I have to trust him. But if we go back to our original conversation, if we give in to fear, and we have to go after Jesus, we have to interact with Jesus, or he wants us to do something, or we feel like we're led to do something, if we choose fear, here's what will be true in our lives. Ultimately, fear will drive us to control and rid us of compassion. So I would say this. If you find yourself as someone who needs to have too much control, and you are not someone who has compassion, you're living out of fear. Because that means we have to hold on to everything real tight. We don't want anybody to take anything from us. We don't want anybody to be, we don't want to be able to give over to other people. Like we need to be in control of our stuff. And when people show up and need compassion from us, we're not going to be willing to give it. And yet that's not what Jesus shows us. I want to read one more passage for us. It's, in, it's 1 John verse 4. We're just going to read verses 16 to 19. And starting in verse 16, it says, We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Try and read that verse, like, really fast. It's very, very difficult. Focus really well not to mess that one up. Verse 17 says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verses 18 and 19. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. 
If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So let's just unpack this for a minute, okay? When we're in fear of punishment, we hide things. Right, so think back to when you were a kid and you knew you did something that you weren't supposed to do. Maybe you were roughhousing with your siblings and you broke something. You broke a window. You broke something else. Or you, you lost something you weren't supposed to lose. Or you, you, you know, something happened, right? And you, you needed to try and figure it out. I'm sure if we went around the room, there were situations where siblings, you know, conspired together and said, hey, let's not tell mom and dad about this and let's just try and hope it goes away, Right? When we're in fear of that punishment, it was because we're in fear of punishment, right? So we, we hide things. And here's what happens when we understand that perfect love, right? When we go and we come to Jesus and we recognize that we have to be seen by him, like the man with leprosy had to be seen by him, and we go to him and we say, I'm going to lay it all out, and I'm not going to demand things. I'm just going to say, Jesus, you have your will with me. You do it. We don't live in fear of that punishment anymore because Jesus knows everything. Here's the thing. We try and hide stuff. We can't hide things from God anyway. So we just allow him to have his way. We give faith over to him and don't live in fear. We don't hold on to things. We don't hide things anymore from him, and we just let him move in what's going to be true in our lives. It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid of the day of judgment. but We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. So here's what I think is true, okay, of faith. Faith lives life with an open hand. If we live out of fear and we live in control or needing to control and we're, we don't have any compassion, we're going to hold everything like this. And no one's going to have access to anything. Right? I need to control it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm not going to let people mess with me. I'm not going to let them ruin my day. I'm not going to let them take from me. I'm going to make sure I have every, every minute, every hour, every cent accounted for I'm not going to let go of it. When we live in faith and we say, it's not mine anyway, it's Jesus's, we live like this. We say, oh, that person needs a little while of my time. Okay, like, I can do that. If they need help in this way, I, I can do that. I can love them that way. With the understanding that later, guess what? We're going to go and say, okay, this, I need to have this time over here. I'm going to go and make sure I recharge the batteries. I'm going to go and spend time with Jesus so that I'm able to do this. Here's how I thought about this as I was processing, Okay. When I was a kid and we would go trick-or-treating, and now it's this way with my kids too, we always knew which houses were the best. Because you'd get to those houses and you'd go to them, and some houses, there's a few different categories, right, of houses when you're trick-or-treating. There's the first house that you always remember because they gave out the full-size candy bars, okay? So you show up and they're like, here's a whole Snickers bar. You're like, this is the house, right? So like you come back there. There's another house that just has the giant bucket of stuff, and they just hold it out and they go, take as much as you want. Right? So you're like, yeah. So like handful, throw it in the bag. And then there's the other house that nobody wants to go back to that goes, they have a giant bucket and they go, please just take two. Right? And then you're like, okay, great. So now I got to figure out what I want and like whatever. So we would, me and my friends, we would get to the end of the night and we'd be like, all right, there's like 10 minutes left on how long we're supposed to trick or treat. Those houses still have lights on. Let's go back to those houses. And we would remember the house that was like, just take two. We'd be like, nope, not going back there. Not worth the time. Right? Usually their lights were off by then anyway. Okay. I'm sorry if you're that person. I just offended you. But that's just the reality of how you process when you're a kid, okay? So if you want to be really popular with the kids in your neighborhood, just give them all the candy, okay? The parents won't like you, but the kids will, okay? So that's the way it works. 
But when we think about that, that's how I, I'm like, when we show up and we, and people come to us and they say, can I have some help? Can I have, like, will you help me? Will you interact with me? How will you, will you have this conversation with me? And we go, yeah, but I got 10 seconds to get it in quick. Or I go, yeah, but I only have, like, I get it. There's times we'd be like, I can help you from this time to this time. I understand that. But there's also the reality of sometimes people just need us to say, yeah, I want to help you. Or we show up in moments and we, we help beyond what we even thought we could help. Or we go above and beyond what they're expecting of us. All this man wanted when he came to Jesus was just, just tell me I'm healed, Jesus. Just get rid of this for me. Instead, Jesus says, I'll do you one better. I'll reach out and I'll even touch you. And I'll show you love instead of just saying, yes, you're clean. So that you can live life the way you had it. It's interesting, right? It gives us that little piece that I skipped over. I haven't talked much about it. It says, Jesus told him not to tell anybody. It's, he does that a few times. I'll be honest with you, it's one of those things where kind of like, it's weird because Jesus knows, he tells him not to, but Jesus knows everything, so he knows he's going to go tell people. And if somebody has loved this much, this man with leprosy, he's loved this much, duh, he's going to tell somebody. Like, and people are going to know. Like, he was the guy with leprosy, and now all of a sudden he doesn't. Like, he's not going to be easy to hide. So he leaves that spot, and he just goes and tells more people, and more people come to Jesus. When we experience Jesus that way, we're going to love more. We're going to have less control. We're going to have more compassion. We're going to have more faith. And we're not going to stop following Jesus because we're too afraid of what's going to happen. But living life with an open hand can be a scary thing because we give up control. And we don't always get to say what's taken or what's not. So here's my last question before we wrap up. What are you holding too tightly? What am I holding too tightly? What's the thing if somebody showed up and said, can you just help me with this? We would go, it's automatic in our head. Nope. Who's the person that if they, said, they showed up and said, can I have help? We'd go, nope. Right? Jesus had every reason not to help this guy. And he probably had people around him saying, don't help them. And I've experienced this recently. There's this weird friction that happens sometimes when we wonder if we're helping someone too much. And it's sometimes it's not healthy, but as I've looked at Scripture, I've seen Jesus help in ways that we would, people would look at him and go, Jesus, you're helping too much. Just say he's clean. Don't touch him. And yet he says, nope, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go that extra mile. There's tension in this. And sometimes we want to pull back and we want to go, no, 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 I want to be in control or no, 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 they're going to be, I don't want to give them too much money. I don't want to give them too much help. I don't want to get, and some of that's just like, trust Jesus. And I'm not saying open your bank account for people, but I am saying Jesus will take care of you if you're generous for the right reasons. So you can trust him in that. Say, I'm going to be wise about this, but I'm going to let Jesus be the one who defines what that looks like as I show compassion to other people. And even if I show a little too much, Jesus is going to show up in that. It's not going to go as worthless. He's going to move in it. So what are you holding too tightly? What am I holding too tightly? What are the things we need to actually give Jesus control over and hold with a little less of an iron fist, kind of open our hands a little bit and say, Jesus, you have access to it. Use it for what you want.
Let's pray today. God, we deal with fears uh, sometimes on a daily basis. And, you know, we talked about this, this man with leprosy and what it looks like to come to you and understand what it means to uh, go through public ridicule. And he, he went through that and to um, struggle with what the final verdict would be and what he just received his ultimate death sentence, maybe. And yet he still chased after you and, and your compassion to him was incredible. And I know in a room this size, like, there are things that we're afraid of, that we've been thinking about processing. We're afraid of what next week looks like. We're afraid of what next year looks like. We're afraid of what our kids are doing or where they're at in life, or we're afraid of, for our siblings and what they're doing. Process. We're afraid for our parents. We're afraid for, there's a lot of things we can be afraid of. And God, I just ask that you would give us comfort in those areas, that we would not be people of control but we would be people of compassion and that we wouldn't live life just holding on tightly to every little thing, but that we would open our hands and just let, let you have control of that. That we would just look at you and say, if it's your will, you do what, we, what you need to do. And even in those moments where we say, am I having too much compassion on someone? Would you show up in those moments too? and use it for good. I pray that we would err on the side of loving people rather than controlling our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.